Dustin. Hello, Huba. Welcome back to your show. <laughs> thank you. Well, thank you for welcoming me back. Well, a lot's gone on. A lot's a lot has transpired uh, in your in your absence. Um, mm. Not that much, I guess. <laughs> I, okay. I, I overstated well, that. <laughs> um, just the just the usual things. <laughs> so life. Yeah. Did you have a good Halloween? I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We. Um, so uh, I was trying to figure out what in the world we were going to do for Halloween. Like uh, it's my son's first Halloween and mm-hmm. like, let's, you know, what are we going to dress him as? And like everything seemed weird. Like, you know, it was like something we were into, not like, I don't know. It just feels a little bit weird sometimes to be like, kid, dress like this because it makes me happy. And so um, I just kept looking for something and eventually it was like, I don't know, it's just going to be an animal. Like, that's just the ne- sure. an easy thing to do. Yeah. And I found this really like adorable little like dinosaur costume. <laughs> and I was like, oh, that's the one because he, lo- he has this book called Never Touch a Dinosaur, which he loves. And so I was like, that's it. He's going to be a dinosaur. Right. And then from there, it was very easy to figure out that my wife and I would be Dr. Grant and Dr. Saller from Jurassic <laughs> Park. And so so we had this little Alan. themed costume. <laughs> we had this little themed thing going on. But like, you know, his costume obviously wasn't Jurassic Park. And it mm-hmm. and it, honestly, it looked a little more like a dragon than a dinosaur. But yeah. whatever. It's fine. It, tomato, tomato. Tomato, tomato. And, uh, you know. It, it was fine and he he looked adorable and it was cute and uh my costume is easy because i had everything i just had to buy a hat okay that was it yeah so you sent us that picture and i didn't recognize you at first i was like oh it's a it's i i, I saw it but i was like busy so i just thought it <laughs> yeah, was like yeah, a yeah. screenshot from something, something else. else yeah i was like oh cool those people i didn't I had no clue it was you for like several hours <laughs> it's because i had my hair underneath yeah. like tucked underneath the hat so it was and weird. I looked yeah it, it's i had no hair my my son kept looking at me like who are you oh yeah what what are you That's and, rough. I, and, and then i'd take the hat off and the hair would fall down and he'd be like oh hey dad what's up my boys do that to me when i shave so i have yeah. to like I have to really, I don't know. I have to maintain everything else. Like I have to get a haircut like a couple weeks before I shave and then I have to like make sure I'm always wearing my glasses or something. Yeah. 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 It, it's weird, but yeah, it's, it's totally true. Like he, I, I he knew like that's dad's voice mm-hmm. and it kind of looks like him, but he was just like staring at me yeah. and then, and then I'd take the hat off and he'd be like, Oh yep, yeah, Okay, cool. Well, this was, technically riley's second halloween but he was very very little last year yeah um and we found out last year that our new neighborhood is just not good for halloween our old neighborhood was great it was super Mm. dense and people would come in from the neighboring apartment complex and so it was always just super thick with kids right right and this year there's just the, the neighborhood like the 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 square mileage of the neighborhood is much larger and there's so many houses and they're not as densely packed together. And uh, it's a mixed bag of people whose lights are out or that maybe they don't have kids. And so it's just, you, you go yeah. outside and it's just super desolate and we sure. had to walk a real long way. My wife had just had a C-section and my kids are also little and it was just, yeah. it took a while to get not very far. Yeah. Um, And we didn't even hand out that much candy either. Yeah. So this year we were like, we're going to go to my parents' <laughs> 
Yep. So yep. That, that's what we did. Um, yeah. And that was worth it. So yeah, yeah that was a lot of fun that's, for us. That's what we did. Like he's too young to trick or treat. And right. so it was like, I don't know. We'll just put him in a costume and go take some pictures, you know, at, at my parents' house and call it a day. Yeah. And, and that's all it was. My grandpa came over and, you know, saw it and, you know, everyone was like, oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. And then I was like, okay, change him out of his costume because he's getting tired of it. And like, he would try to like crawl around and stuff, but he's got this really long tail. Mm-hmm. And so he'd like crawl and the thing would swing mm-hmm. and like throw his balance off a little bit. <laughs> it, it was hilarious. Yeah. Um, my son uh, was a Riley had like a werewolf costume. And so he mm. just sat in his stroller and looked like a little like bear thing. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I saw that y'all had like cut his, his pants up or something. No, that, to look- that was all part of the costume. We oh, bought, really? the, we oh, bought okay, the whole cool. thing at spirit Halloween. It just came oh, up sweet. like that. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. It's, it's like he's mid transformation. Like his, his feet haven't quite transformed yet, but his, his face is getting there. Yeah. We were, I was changing when we got home and uh, we were doing something and he was mid changed. All he had on was the pants. And I was like, he looks like the Hulk after he wakes up <laughs> later. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> Cause he just had the blue cut off pants. Right. Uh, well, it was fun. It was a good Halloween. Yeah. So, I also spent my Halloween talking to Michael Grayson about horror movies. <laughs> oh, okay. So never a bad time. People can, can go back and listen to that if they prefer. Yeah. So, um, cool. All right. Well, so before Halloween, I remember I mentioned it a couple of, in a couple of little pre prompts before some of these last episodes of the show, of course, I told you like in September, I was asked to do this panel at the University of South Alabama because there is an international law class and I know the professor and he wanted to talk to his students about the Nuremberg trials, mm. uh, which were the trials of Nazi officials after the end of World War II. It was a huge deal and it was kind of like the first, you know, big proceeding in terms of how do we prosecute such large such crimes on such a large scale yeah who's the gut like who has authority who's the governing body how do you enforce this it's a it's you know questions worth answering and so they said he said we're gonna watch judgment at nuremberg which is this you know which was a film made in 1961 about the the judges trial specifically because there's like a bunch of these so the judges trial was one such trial of the nuremberg trials took place in Nuremberg and I found the, the the movie on Pluto TV. Oh, okay. So I watched it at home, but it was, yep. I had to watch commercials. Ah, I and hate so that. every like, you know, 25 minutes or so, like the same 45 seconds, 90 seconds of like carpet cleaners and, you know, boner yeah. pill commercials would come on and, right. and I like it a lot. Yeah. So I'll, I'll read you a little bit of, essentially what I wrote uh, for the students at the panel. Um, They did not end up showing the whole film because they were like, yeah, it's pretty long. So um, they showed about the last half of it, which is like the Mm -hmm. main pieces of all of it, you know, but I would recommend people watch it. It's, it's, it it is long, but um, I'll explain why I think it's, uh, it's worth seeing uh, here in a second, but uh, Mm -hmm. it was a good, it was a good little discussion. I think I was there for about two and a half hours or so, uh, asking questions, answering questions. And, you know, the other panelists were uh, a, a political science professor and a lawyer. And, um, and it was, and I was kind of intimidated because I'm just here to talk about the movie 
and this is a law class and these are lawyers and a lot of the people attending are like either students of this class or they're like other professors. There was two sociology professors I talked to a lot after the fact wow. whom beforehand and before I could see them, you know, reacting to my perspective, I was like, okay, I'm not sure how I'm going to like <laughs> tell these people yeah. like my perspective on all this because they're so much more learned in this subject than I am. But I ended up having a lot to say about the movie and uh, about the things I thought the movie did well. Uh, had you, you've, have you ever heard of this movie before, Dustin? I, I've heard of it, but I've never seen it. The movie takes place in, I believe, let me make sure I know what year it's supposed to be, four, 1948. Um, so in real life, the judge's trial was like 16 individuals. They reduced it to four for the film. So it's directed by Stanley Kramer. It's written by Abby Mann. And um, it is stars Spencer Tracy, Burt Lancaster, uh, Richard Widmark, Marlene Dietrich, Maximilian Schell, Judy Garland, after her seven-year absence from the industry, mm. uh, Montgomery Clift, William Shatner, I think this is his first like film role. Oh, um, wow. Yeah. Uh, Edward uh, Bins and Kenneth McKenna. What the movie is about, essentially, is Spencer Tracy is like, plays, uh, what's, his, what's, his, what's his character's name? Judge Dan Haywood. He's asked to be the chief judge of this three judge panel of allied uh, jurists for these proceedings that ended up taking several months. And um, they're essentially prosecuting Nazi or German, but not members of the Nazi party judges who sent people to like the concentration camps and, you know, signed off on people being executed or arrested for being Jews and for, mm. you know, all the various things that the Nazi party did. What's so impressive about the movie, um, other than just the large philosophical questions of who is to blame for this? Like, obviously, Hitler's to blame. OK, the judges are to blame. Um, the performance of Maximilian Schell, who plays uh, their defense attorney, Hans Rolf, is fucking fantastic mm. um he's just so good at not only just defending his clients but in doing so saying like if these men are guilty then the entire world is guilty because here's this story all true by the way here's all these american companies that profited off of hitler here's um what what about the responsibility of the vatican who in doing uh, he lists off these historical events where other nations and and organizations legitimized Hitler's power mm. because it wasn't yet a threat to them, but yeah. they legitimized him in the way he came to power. Nonetheless, mm. he's like, so I'm sorry, but if my clients are guilty, then this, this is the else. whole, it's, it's a famous speech that's called, you know, the guilt of the world. Like if you typed in the guilt of the world on Google, that's yeah. the scene that comes up. Mm. Um, and it's, it, it's, it's really interesting from a philosophical standpoint. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of cool things about the movie. Um, the, 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 everyone's German accents are really, really great. Um, uh, and there's a lot of camera movement, um, in this, in this movie. And I wanted to read to you now the rest of what I got here because it's, I'm about to paraphrase it anyway. So forgive okay. my, forgive my straight up reading of my own words, but this is what You're I good. ended up reading essentially once I was handed the microphone. Yeah. Uh, I had never seen this film before I was asked to participate on the panel. I knew it must have been significant in its impact or else there would be no panel. I didn't realize that it would be a great film on top of that. That's not always the case. The screenwriter, Abby Mann, son of Russian Jewish immigrants, won the Oscar for Best Adapted Screenplay for this film. 
It was adapted from a TV drama two years prior, and he said during his acceptance speech, a writer worth his salt at all has an obligation not only to entertain, but to comment on the world in which he lives. He demonstrates that through this film's screenplay. He expertly threaded the needle of remaining close to the facts of the historical event of which he is writing about, while managing to connect us closer to the events of the film through the Spencer Tracy character, a person who is able to be at the center of the proceedings while also having the ability to walk around Germany in between trial days to mingle among the German citizenry, listening to their perspectives and weighing the moral arguments of the fallout of the war. Uh, he does that you know, in between he's staying in the house of one of these uh, executed Nazi officials. So he ends up talking to his wife and he goes to this restaurant. And so he just spends a lot of time among the German people and sort of listening to them talk about how like you, you couldn't possibly think that we knew what he was really doing, you know, yeah. gaining yeah. all this insight and exploring the emotional angle of the war and the the fallout through this character. Right. Because we've mm. got the facts of the case why does this have to be a movie? Um, yeah, yeah. Right. Yep. A good story, which also happens to be true, does not need to be made sexier for a film adaptation by altering facts or changing outcomes. It can be as simple as allowing us to live history through the eyes of a fictional character. The story is inherently dramatic and has philosophical weight on its own. Something less, sometimes less is more. And I think a lot of writers forget that. The point, of course, being that if you've got a great philosophical story with this much historical significance, this much philosophical weight, do you need to, how do you make it more, you know, again, why is it a movie? You know, all these things are interesting. There's documentaries about it. Why does it have to, you can lean into the emotional angle more by giving Mm. us a fictional character through which to just sort of feel this, not just learn about it, but feel it, you know? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And they did that and it doesn't take a, a, a large tweak, you know? Yeah. And a lot of movies, I'm sure, I'm, I can't think of specific examples, but we know plenty of movies where you go, you read about it later and you go, oh, they kind of changed the order of events to make this. Yeah. They did that a little bit with like Judas and the Black Messiah. Like a lot of things yep. that happened in that movie are true, but they didn't happen in that order. Right. And when we reviewed that movie, I remember saying, go watch some of these documentaries about it because there's stuff to learn here, but you can't just watch a movie about a historical event and yeah. take it as gospel. In this case, you can, except there's no Dan Haywood character and there's more right. jurists. But yeah. for the most part, the rest of this shit really happened, you know? Yeah. I remember that with the trial of the Chicago 7 as well. Um, like that was a big mm-hmm. one. I feel like Aaron Sorkin kind of reoriented or reordered those scenes mm-hmm. so that they made thematic movie sense, even if it wasn't 100% accurate to the way it actually unfolded. Right. Yeah. Um, So a few things. This was the first film to show the actual footage of the concentration camps, which was considered exceptionally graphic at the time. They show it Mm. in the court and it's the real footage that the Americans filmed. Oh, wow. This was on the this was during the decline of the Hayes Code. You know, this is 1961. The Hayes Code didn't didn't fall out until 1968. It was so weird being in a room full of people and being like, does anyone know what the Hayes Code is? And like, no one knew. And I was like, oh, shit. (laughs) I was like, you guys. (laughs) Well, let me let me learn you all. Let me learn it too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it was uh, now the Hayes Code was being uh, largely ignored at this time. Like yeah. uh, Hollywood, uh, they started to realize like, like yeah. it, they, it kind of they kind of pushed back. And so it was not as like powerful, but it was still in place. Sure. But it was shocking nonetheless to people. Yeah. 
Maximilian Schell played the defense attorney role in both this film and the TV production in 1959. Mm. His performance was so strong in the 59 TV special that he was asked to reprise the role in this film. Wow. For which he also won the Academy Award for Best Actor. Wow. Which was the first win for a German-speaking actor since World War II. Mm. I thought that was interesting. That is interesting. The world premiere was in 1961, December in West Berlin. Um, so that was, uh, wow. that, that had an interesting reaction from the crowd, especially the German crowd. Yep. So the TV network premiere of this film was shown on ABC on March 7th, 1965. Uh, the broadcast of this premiere was interrupted to show news footage of the violence on bloody Sunday mm. during the Selma to Montgomery marches wow. and the juxtaposition of this film and the with footage, uh, yeah, with the footage of violence against black people you know, during this film about Nazi atrocities, it, it, it ended up garnering greater support for the civil rights movement for people who were wow. watching. Cause it was just like, Oh, well there's this and there's this. Yeah. Huh. That's interesting. Yeah. Just the timing of that. Like, all right, yeah, we're going to yeah. watch this, you know, this important film and you know, yeah. And we interrupt this program wow. to bring you and you just look at that footage. You're like, huh? Hmm. How long ago did this happen? Oh, right. Oh, okay. Now. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. Right. Um, so Stanley Kramer is credited with making many of Hollywood's best, what were called at the time, message pictures, which now you just call any film with a social conscience, with a social significance, like yeah. movies that are meant to not only entertain and tell good stories, but to have a lasting impact on the audience. You know, yeah. um, he was sort of the guy at that time known for that. Um, yeah. He'd made a string of them at the time, culminating with this film. Uh, you know, he did more than direct good films. He told stories and he wanted to make an impact. It's easy for a film to be, and I went, I talked about this a lot at the panel. It's easy for a film to be preachy or so focused on its politics that it abandons story and character. But this mm. film manages to, his films manage to allow the story and characters to carry the message of the film through their actions. It's called good storytelling. Um, and I, I just, I, I said, I'm, I don't know how many, movies y'all have seen lately where like the impact like the the message of the story is something very broad and obvious like slavery is bad or yeah. you know we shouldn't be mean to gay people like mm -hmm. but to have a story a, a movie that's a good story on top of that like yeah. good message yeah. that's obvious and really requires no work at all yeah telling yeah. that and reinforcing that with the story yeah that's another thing. And this, yep. and a good movie does both. And most films yep. don't do that. Yep. Yep. Um, I, so I, I didn't end up getting to show them this clip, but I can describe it to you because you know exactly what I'm talking about when I describe it. Okay. But I could not find anything in my research to bolster this observation, but this film may have been the first film that I know of to employ a specific narrative device. I've seen it used in two other films that tell stories of non-English speaking characters for an American audience. Um, in all three movies, the director has found a clever way, visually, usually visually, to lift the veil and allow us to remain in the reality of the languages without having to be s slowed down by translators. So in this movie, there's German characters and there's American characters in a courtroom together for the whole film, mostly. Um, and so everyone's wearing headphones like we are. Yep. And they're listening. And uh, at the beginning of the film, there's a lot of German speaking German and you're hearing translators say it back in English and then Americans back the other way. And it's just the translators yep. always in between every sentence. 
And so at a certain point in this movie, Maximilian Schell is giving his opening statements. The, uh, the Sorry, that's the actor. The Hans Rolf, the defense attorney, is giving his opening statements and he's speaking German, blah, blah, blah. It's, it's relaying. And so there, there's finally this shot from behind the translator glass, behind the interpreter, and he's talking. And then the camera kind of booms up above it. And then he starts talking and then he pauses and the translator starts talking. And then they do this, this crash zoom onto Maximilian Schell. And the next lines he speaks are English. Mm. And for the rest of the film, everyone speaks English. Mm. No subtitles, no translator. Yep. But everyone commits to the reality of the film. There are still headsets. The actors are still listening to headsets. They are pausing to listen to them. They're not just responding to each other in real time because they happen to be speaking the same language because in the reality of the film, they're not. Right. They commit to it. I was watching. I was like, all right, you sons of bitches. Who's going to screw up first? Yeah. How are you going to do this? Wow. Nobody screws up, Dustin. I was flabbergasted. Wow. That's awesome. I know. Uh, there's only two scenes near the end where he speaks to two different of those characters. Everyone speaks English, no headphones. And I was like, all right, either, either they speak English because it's a brief scene and they're not under like, you know, they're not in like a legal mm-hmm. or it's just artistic license. And sure. it, it, it's okay. It didn't bother me. I didn't even sure. realize it till later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was explaining to the panel, I said, there's two other movies that do this. There's, there's, um, there's Valkyrie in 2008, yep. where Tom Cruise is speaking German at the beginning of the film. He's writing a letter. Yep. And yep. at some point they overlap and bleed together his voiceover to become English. Mm-hmm. Um, with the subtitles disappearing. Yep. I said before that there was the hunt for red October. Mm-hmm. Where, if you remember, everyone, you know, the Russians, Americans, the, the the Russian officer is reading something. He's reading something from Greek mythology. Yeah. And they zoom in and then they stop on his mouth on the word Armageddon because that's the only word in the two languages that are the same. Yeah. Yeah. And once he starts with the word, he, they zoom back out. He's speaking English for the rest of the film. Yep. Everyone yeah. speaks English. Sean Connery speaking English, even though he's Russian. And that's, yeah. I, thought the hunt for red October was the first one to do that. But then I saw this and I was like, Oh my God, they did the thing. Yep. And I, and I, I researched it. I couldn't find the term for it. I looked everywhere. It does. I looked for like two hours yeah. one day. Yeah. I could not find another example of it doing it. I couldn't find a single example of anyone linking these three movies mm-hmm. with that device. So I was like, yep. shit, I've just had, yeah. an, I've just had an original thought. Wow. So, yeah. Ah. I must tell these students. Yes. <laughs> but I thought that was really cool. And yeah, yeah. and uh, somebody ended up asking me, you know, why, w- what is it about films doing that? Like w- trying to get rid of subtitles. I said, you know, I think we're moving away from that because after I mean, Valkyrie was in 2008 yeah. and I said, if you guys remember and this felt a lot like the podcast at this point, like everything I say in response to a question is just me doing the podcast. Cause I'm like, yeah. all right, I'm not prepared for this. You know? Right. So I said, if you remember a couple of years ago when parasite, if you watch the Oscars parasite, won best pictures, it's a South Korean movie. It's directed by, I said South Korean. I should have just said Korean. Um, yeah. it's directed by, uh, um, Oh, Jesus. Bong Joon-ho. I don't think I said the director's name. I said the director got up there and he said, he said, if we could get past the one inch barrier at the the bottom of the screen, we can open ourselves up to a whole host of new stories. And the idea being that you got to read subtitles. Okay. (laughs) Just read Mm -hmm. the subtitles. Yeah. And, and we got past that a little bit in 2008 
like uh, with some exception, like, uh, but for the most part, I said that I said the only thing I can think of is recently I was I said I was what, what my friend and I had watched rewatched Inglorious Bastards. Yep. And I said what we what is what is there to appreciate when you hear people speaking a German language a uh, foreign language is just the the the, the intonation everything we said in, in the in that episode yep. like the intonation yep. the tone the syllables the emphases they're all in different places and it just makes for a unique listening experience versus yep. American English where we just know how people are going to say words. Yeah. Unless I say them like this, you don't know, uh, you know how I'm going to speak, you know, my pattern of speech. Yep. Um, so, uh, I don't know. I thought that was a, it was a cool little thing they did. And for, for in 1961 for them to be like, for Stanley Kramer to go, we've got to go literally above the glass to do that. Mm -hmm. I thought that was cool. Yeah, that is cool. Yeah. So the film's in the Library of Congress, obviously. So one thing I like to point out too, from a screen a screenwriting level, is um, Hans Rolf, the defense attorney, is the moral fail, the moral foil to the Spencer Tracy Haywood character. You know, mm-hmm. Spencer Tracy is he's like, okay, I'm here to you know hear the trial of these Nazi of these Nazi judges, and this very charismatic defense attorney is giving this impassioned defense based mm-hmm. on moral relativism, basically. Yeah. And I said, he's kind of like the Joker to Haywood's Batman. He's, it's not that he's evil, but he's the antagonist to an extent because he's presenting the story conflict and the moral conflict to Haywood and to the mm-hmm. audience. He's the one who is saying justly, this is extremely complex. How can you possibly render a fair judgment on actions or inactions as they relate to the following, to following dictatorial orders? Yeah. What are these men supposed to do? If they don't do it, they'll be shot. They'll be arrested. Yeah. Like what were they supposed to do? You know, right. They're right. fair questions and he's, he's not evil for raising them. It's, it's just a really, really strong screenplay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's worth seeing. Mm. Um, it, it really, really, really is. Um, sweet. Yeah. So I, yeah, I'll have to check it out. I give it, uh, try to find it where you don't have to have commercial breaks. Yeah. yeah. You know, but it is a long movie, but like it's, uh, man, it's worth it. I think Sweet. it was such a good panel, dude. Like uh, we, we, they asked me all kinds of questions. Like, do you think that the, do you think that movies like can influence people's actions basically, you mm. know? And like, mm. like, the, cause someone had brought up the, had brought up like propaganda and stuff like that. And I just said, I said something like, I think most movies, especially you know, the more into blockbusters you get, but I said, I think most movies, including this one, obviously uphold and reinforce like high moral standards. Mm-hmm. Like this movie is like, you know, you were guilty. You know, one of the things said to the guy was like, one of the things said to one of the guilty men is you were guilty. The moment you arrested a person you knew was innocent. Mm. the idea like i don't care you know but if it's not me it's gonna be someone else that people they were asking these questions like what are you supposed to do though if it's supposed if it's it it went into philosophy into like you know and so ethics and stuff and i was like well i said most movies would sort of idealistically you know take the position that if it saves one life you need to stand up and do it you need to stand up for your your moral beliefs and in this case like Yes, you know, if you don't do it, something might happen to you. But the thing is, at a certain point, 
you are either choosing to participate in the dehumanization, uh, murder or stripping of rights of another person. Yeah. And if the other choice is death, yeah. What is your life worth if all you are is a puppet for the state like that, basically? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, that's what the film reinforces. And that's where what a lot of moral codes themselves outside of film would 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 reinforce they would never tell you hey man save yourself you know right um it was just really really interesting it led to a yeah. lot of interesting I'm, I'm going back in the spring they're doing something else in the spring and so that Sweet. was invited back and i was like i'd nice. love to yeah so yeah yeah it was great it was a great experience Do you know what, what film they're doing next no no but i'm 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 there for it <laughs> What if it's Jack and Jill starring Adam Sandler? <laughs> oh, then I'll <laughs> <the> cancel. <laughs> Please lose my number. <laughs> but what if Adam Sandler's going to be there? Uh, okay, I'll be there. Okay. The Sandman. The Sandman. He's yeah. he's on the panel. Yeah. It was fun. It was worth it. I did a lot of research. It, yeah. just, I, 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 it went well because I was prepared, you know, but it was just fun to do. And I really think that the only reason I even felt halfway qualified to go is because we do this show. And I just knew like, I don't know, yeah. I'm just very secure in my perspective, I suppose. And um, I just was thinking like, no one's going to ask me any questions. They're going to ask the professors these questions. And a lot of yeah. the questions were directed to all of us or to me specifically. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, <laughs> So, uh, yeah, but I was, I felt relaxed. I felt a little nervous, yeah. but I told him, I was like, look, I'm not, I'm not a professor. I'm not, I don't have any, you know, a lot of people yeah. thought I was, a lot of people thought I was some kind of professor. They thought I was with the college. Uh, I was told yeah. by a couple of people that I ought to be a professor. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so now I'm considering it. <laughs> Do it. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, uh, they've got, they've got some program. They got some classes there I could teach for, for real. So. Yeah. It was a good experience. It was, uh, I'd love to go back and I'd like to keep going. So big, big yeah. thanks to them, uh, to professor Al Green and to the students for having me. Yeah. All right. So the other film, so speaking of this, I saw this as a great opportunity because the follow-up that Stanley Kramer did to this, to the, to judgment Nuremberg, big, heavy moral drama was this madcap comedy called it's a mad, 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 mad world. <laughs> uh, i can't find the box whatever so the studios were like shit dude uh yeah he's like i can make a comedy and they were like, like right. okay so at the time so in in so in 1963 stanley kramer makes it's a mad 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 world which i had seen many times mm. yeah as a youth mm. um and I'm a big fan of. Yeah. Uh, so this was directed by Stanley Kramer, written by William and Tanya Rose. Mm -hmm. So here's the crazy thing about the cast. All right. Spencer yeah. Tracy, once again. Okay. Milton Berle, mm -hmm. Sid Caesar, Buddy Hackett, Ethel Merman, mm -hmm. Mickey Rooney, Dick Sean, Phil Silvers, Terry Thomas, Jonathan Winters, Edie Adams, Dorothy Provine, Jimmy Durant, um, a lot of these names you recognize as famous people, you know, mm -hmm. like you don't know, you may not remember who Jonathan Winters is, but you know, the name Jonathan Winters. Yeah. Uh, Peter Falk is in here as well. Oh, mm -hmm. was your age television was called bucks. <laughs> um, you've got, and you've got cameos in here from Sterling Holloway, 
um buster keaton don knotts is in here for a scene that was wow. great yeah wow uh the three stooges make an appearance now you mentioned this film recently because we talked about rat race okay right i did and mention then, that yeah and and this is my only context for it because i've not seen i've not seen it's a mad mad how many mads are in this it's a mad four, mad four mad, mads mad mad he mad, later, mad world he they added more as the production went really and then he wanted to add a fifth and someone was like, that's nah, enough Mads. And then later everyone was like, we should have added a fifth Mad. I don't know why, but can you imagine all the marquees like on yeah. all the theaters around the country everyone's just mad because they're putting well, up and, all the and letters it's, it's inconsistent too because like I thought yeah. it was six. No dude, it's nine. Oh no, how many Mads? No. Um, no, but like, so this movie was made for nine million dollars at the time. Mm. Box office was sixty million dollars. Jeez. You know, in 1963. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this movie is about a bunch of strangers who come to learn of buried money in California, and they're all trying to get there first. Yeah. If that sounds like Rat Race, it's because I'm pretty sure Rat Race was uh, like an unofficial like remake remake of this. I don't, I didn't see it anywhere in the official like, but that's what it is. So. Uh, now, Stanley Kramer, socially conscious director, this movie is technically about greed, mm. so it still fits the bill for, to be interesting sure. to him, Yeah, but he recognized, I haven't really made a comedy before. I mean, there was like Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, but I think that was after this. Guess Who's Coming to Dinner was, yeah, that was 67. Mm. So at okay. the time, he was like, I need to make something a little more levity, but I do yeah. want to inject something, some sort of statement into it, and it's it's very easily about greed. These people are all- sure selfish and yeah yeah and um so why are there so many famous people in this movie because at the time television was pulling people out of the theater right it people were just like you know people weren't weren't going out as much for theaters and so Mm -hmm. they were like we gotta get people back to the theater and one of the ways you do that is a giant ensemble film so for something of this scale to happen in 1963 I mean, think we we think that our movies are like shoved full of celebrities these yeah. days, like movie forty three and sure. really any movie with a giant ensemble. But like, if you look at this, these are like the most famous people in like yeah. comedy. You know, yeah. uh, like the most yeah. famous comedians, comic actors at the time, all in the yeah. same movie. Um, yeah. and it really works. There's a couple where you watch it and you're like, okay, was that some sort of thing in 1961? Yeah. Like. Someone's this was infinity war for our grandparents. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, like that Buster Keaton does this weird thing. Like someone's hat. He's in there for one scene. He's just this driver. Like the, he, someone th- tosses their hat to a, to a, a coat rack. They miss it. It goes out the window. It's in the road. And they're like, and so he's a driver. He sees the hat on the road and he just does this weird, like yeah. face and runs yeah. over it. And like, yeah. it, it's, it's just more of, it's just one of those things where you go, Oh, yeah yeah but it's still funny when you're a kid because he makes a goofy face and yeah sure um everyone's mad because he ran over the hat mm-hmm. <laughs> don knotts is great <laughs> don knotts like picks up the hitchhiker. The that's, that's a police helicopter and he's like it's <laughs> like no it's, they've been tracking me ever since we, 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 better, we better pull over we we gotta go right to the police no man just keep driving the car uh, um <laughs> and he's just he's just great so yeah um What's so Mad Mad World is long. It's another long Stanley Kramer film. It's also about three hours long. So I watched this with my daughter. I have this on Blu-ray. 
And then I realized that there was a dispute in the versions, right? Mm. Against Kramer's wishes, the film suffered severe cuts by its distributor, United Artists, in order to give the film a shorter running time for its general release. Mm. So in 2013, Criterion Collection collaborated with MGM and UA and uh, film restoration people to restore it as close as possible to the original 202 minute cut. Mm. Um, and so I realized I don't have that version. I have like a 160 something version. Yeah. So I, I, and so I wondered, did I ever, have, have I seen the real version of this? You know? And so we watched yeah. it the other night and I was like, I don't remember. I don't, there's nothing scene in there that I like don't recognize. I think sure. when I saw it as a kid, I had seen the original cut. I'm not sure uh, how that happened though, because it sounds like it wasn't available. I don't know. Hmm. Weird. Some Mandela effect stuff. I don't know. I'm not sure. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, but it's a really enjoyable film. I, I forgot how many, one of the things that's great about the movie is there's a whole lot of like stunt driving in it. Um, mm. Really, really great in camera stunt driving. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot of people driving cars where cars shouldn't be uh, right. people ramming their cars into each other. Yep. Um, just, you know, <laughs> just silly stuff happening. Yeah. A fun movie. That's another one I recommend a uh, big yeah, time. Yeah. Um, awesome. I, even my daughter liked it. But yeah, the whole time it was fun to like talk to my daughter and be like, all right, who do you think like most deserves the money at this point? Yeah. Um, Cause that kind of shifts like these characters, like in order to advance their position, they'll do worse and worse things or they'll screw each other over. Um, and uh, it's just, it's such a brilliant uh, setup because just, you know, okay, these are all hijinks. Like, why does this work? It works because yeah. the film opens with these they're all driving in like the Arizona desert or just somewhere in the, in the, in the West on these like mountain roads. And there's a car passing everybody. Mm. And then the car runs off the cliff. They actually crash this car. Mm. And so these people all stop. They go down there, check on the guy. He's still alive. And he is talking about, he has $350,000 buried under a big W in, in, whatever the hell that means in, in Santa Rosita state park in, in California. Mm. And he's like, I want you to have it. I want y'all to have it. Then he dies. Cops show up right away. So those guys are like, do we tell them about the, the money? He goes, no, 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 no. We, They've all got places to be. Uh, I know I'm doing all this backwards. Like they've all got places to be. They're like, I don't want to be here all day. Like, let's just, you know, stick to our store. Let's get out of here. So they lie to the cops. They're like, yeah, no, he just, he didn't say anything. He, he thought that guy was his aunt. He just, you know, he died. So they leave and you come to find out this guy's name is Smiler Grogan. He's this bank robber who, mm. who was already being followed by the police. So that's why they're on his tail. And that's why they're wondering. And so Spencer Tracy's character, the chief of police has been like chasing this guy for like 15 years. And he says, I know he's got that money buried somewhere follow those people where are those people oh they're all on the side of the road talking because they realize they're all tempted to make a break for the money so first yeah. they debate like how do we break it up into shares should we do it per car should we do it per person in the car should we do it per person who went down to check on them and then they just decide like all right we can't we can't agree and they all just split off and try to get there first so as soon as that yeah. happens the cops are like follow all of them. Do not allow them to realize they're being followed. They're going to lead us to the money. So that's what, that's how the cops have tabs on them the whole time, but it's mm. why they don't arrest them or pull them over for yeah, anything yeah. they do because they don't want to alert them to their presence. So it's a really fun setup to where it explains 
how everyone knows everything. How right. do the cops know where all the characters are? And so how can they communicate about our characters back yeah. at the police station? It's just helicopters and radios. And it's just, it's really fun. And uh, yeah. they're drawn on a map where they're going to converge. It's, it's really, 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 really great. Um, That's awesome. Filmmaking. So I recommend both of these films a thousand percent for different reasons. I'd watch Nuremberg first and then. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then, and then Mad World. Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> if you've got six hours to spare <laughs> and you want to be a little sad and then morally upright and then happy. Yeah, right. Uh, watch these movies back to back. Sweet. Yeah. You good? Yeah, I'm okay. I don't. I don't know, man. I don't know what's going on. I think I did a little bit to my my, my folds. Yep. 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 Lesson learned. Got them. Got them dirty folds. Got them dirty folds. <laughs> All nasty and milky. <laughs> <laughs> hey listener let me get your opinion on this I, I i told i was on the phone with hooper earlier and i passed a billboard that said milk hydrates better than water <laughs> this is not true it can't possibly be true this is unrelated to movies but no that can't possibly be true i don't understand hold on, i'm gonna look at that right now what, i haven't googled it, it, it because i'm like milk hydrates milk hydrates better than water Yes, milk is hydrating according to research. Okay, that's a vague wow. statement, first of all. Yeah, you know what else is hydrating? Any liquid. <laughs> yeah, this coffee is hydrating because it's part water. Yeah. But clearly not. Listen to my voice. <laughs> um, all right, let's see. Oh, and so, of course, the page failed. Get back here, you son of a bitch. Don't you run from me. Okay, in a March 2016 trial in the American Journal of Clinical Nutrition compared the effects of a variety of drinks on their fluid balance on people's fluid balances and then compared the results to still water the findings indicated that both skim milk and whole milk are more hydrating than plain water since when the participants drank milk they were able to retain fluids for longer periods of time than when they drank water so that's a deceiving thing to say it's more hydrating yeah. that implies it gives you more more fluid Right. But what it means is it helps you stay Retain hydrated. It. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. it hydrates. So what's the definition of hydrates? Is that is is maintaining fluids part of hydrate? Maybe. All right. Hi, let me see. Hydrate. If I drive back by it, I'm going to see if there's like a, a website or something. Hydrate. Verb. Cause to absorb water. It mm. does. By yeah. definition, yeah. hydrate yeah. better than water. But is that just because water like goes like you, goes through you so it goes easily? through you so fast, yeah. I guess. So can we blame water for, for not I don't know. And if that's the case, so does water this is we're not scientists, but like does wait a second. So all right. Here's a crazy thought. So, you know, like when you drink a lot of water, like you pee more, yeah, a lot of liquid you do. Yeah. Isn't it true that like what you're peeing out isn't necessarily like, it's not like it's just the water. It's right. like blood platelets or some shit. Like, isn't that right? Uh, All right. I mean, All right. I'm, I'm, I'm sure there's this. a variety of wastes what in, is in urine. My pee. <laughs> 
the, you know what? We we started on such a, a heady note, and now we're here. Pee is your body's liquid waste, mainly made of water, salt, electrolytes, and chemicals called urea and uric acid. All right, so it's not blood platelets. <laughs> I guess I, I was going to say that, it, it's, it's stuff, but it's stuff taken out of your blood. So okay. your pee is stuff that they took out of your blood. Your pee comes from your blood, like from your bloodstream, like like bad stuff out of your blood. We should probably not not spread <laughs> this information. We're gonna get one of those like warnings on Spotify. <laughs> yeah, contain. Yeah, fact. We're gonna get a Snopes.com Dustin, fact checking. Your pee contains mRNA. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! All right, so it does hydrate better than water, apparently. Apparently, which is so strange. Well, I'll tell you this. If I've been working outside and I'm like, I'm not drinking milk. (laughs) I'm not coming inside and chugging a milk. I will not. I will never do this. I can imagine people are going to try that. Like, well, it's more hydrating. And they just, they chug (laughs) a gallon. (laughs) Have you ever seen anyone throw up milk before? Yeah. So when I, it's awful. It's the worst. It's the worst. (laughs) Number two. Uh, when I worked, so my dad is a landscaper and, mm-hmm. and when I worked with him in the summers, um, it was like every now and then we would go like, you know, to steak and shake or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I made the mistake one time of getting a milkshake and then continuing to work in the Georgia summer sun. And <laughs> that's an end of day that thing, was my friend. a big mistake. <laughs> and I learned very quickly. Yeah. Don't drink dairy and then go stand in the sun. You idiot. Oh. And, uh, so I learned it. So I will more not like more like mistake and shake. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I, I will not, right. I will not I'll be t- thirsty and go for a, a milk first. All right. So this didn't happen to me personally, but I will top that story in terms of what is visually disgusting. So, um, as I'm, as I'm want to do. So yeah, 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 yeah. when I was in high school, I was a cross country runner and we went to running camp in the summer. Yeah. So at running camp at a certain point, there's the great camp race. So it's split up into three teams. So these are schools from all over Alabama. So you're, you know, you're with your school, but there's also like, and there's a bunch of events and there's a bunch of, it's a relay basically. Um, and there's stuff you do and everyone kind of gets assigned to do a specific thing. And I can't remember how it works. I remember my thing one year was I had to, there was like a specific like roped off course in the game room where I had to like blow a like ping pong ball along the floor. Um, along a specific track. So you have to like crawl on all fours and like get in front of it and change the direction. It was yeah. really hard. Um, and I, I, I have a scar on my back from where I ran into a, a, a ping pong, uh, a foosball table and took a chunk out of my, <laughs> like my skin. Jeez. Yeah. Um, I did that for my team. Um, yep. and then like, you know, a quarter mile run around the lake or whatever it was. So some people, there was like a, there was like a, um, at some point in the run, earlier than that somebody had to i think they had to like eat something and you know if you're first to this table you get to choose what's there if you're not there first you get to pick from what remains yeah so they're all bad choices but like at least there are less bad choices sure at some point you get to this table and there's stuff you have to drink like a gallon of oh no and so there was (laughs) i don't remember there was like four or five choices but like Two of the choices. One was V8, 
Okay. Um, and another was buttermilk. Ugh. Like a whole gallon of buttermilk. So I oh. watched both. I watched both my teammate Robbie drink the V8, and this other this other guy next to him drink the buttermilk. So first of all, it's just gross to watch people who've just run to this table, like try to down this liquid. Whatever. Yeah, yeah, just like just try to take it in in general. Yeah, and then not only are they running, Dustin, they're running up a big ass hill. <laughs> Yeah. So like they're engaging their core. <laughs> yeah. Breathing hard. Oh no. So yeah. like the dude, the the a guy on the other team, like oh, and he runs and of course it's just pure white because it just entered yeah. his body a few seconds it's ago. Just yogurt. And point. there's so much of it that never even went past his upper stomach. Oh. So it's just Oh, he looks like he looks like Ash from Alien dying. Yeah, <laughs> and of course that makes Robbie throw up, and Robbie drank yeah. V eight, so it looks like he's vomiting blood. Oh, <laughs> like, tomato juice. Oh. So, <laughs> the, the nastiest thing ever. <laughs> this podcast brought to you by V eight and Mayfield. <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm like running alongside, like, go guys, go. I'm the coughing, trying not to get it on my shoes. Yeah. Oh, this <laughs> is straight butter is now. It's been churned <laughs> yes. by your intestines. I'm, I'm, I'm further down the line having to do some nor- relatively normal event. These guys, I can't believe they had to do that. Oh, yeah. That's disgusting. They must have been in the in the in the John when everyone was signing up and taking all the good events. I just say what what were the what were the best drinks? I mean, just like water. I'm no, it was like I think it was like orange juice, maybe like which That's is still I mean, bad. They're all bad choices. Ah, uh, but, but those there's are less like bad. There's less bad. Like because V8 is it. very has a very strong like you know, but like at least orange juice tastes good. I mean, if you sure. like orange juice, but it's so full of sugar that like, yeah. it's the, it's a terrible thing. To put so it might be yeah. easier for you to drink it, but you're totally not going to keep it down. Yeah. And then maybe there was like grape juice or, or like, I think was one of them like Pepsi or something, something like that. Wow. <laughs> what, what could possibly you know. be a worse choice than buttermilk though? Ugh. Oh, that's disgusting I, vodka i mean <laughs> of course we were in high school but so it wouldn't have been vodka but you yeah know, it, it, but yeah i oh wow I, I would think like i'd think like you know chocolate milk maybe yeah no that's not as bad Cho- as butter chocolate milk. buttermilk <laughs> just butter strawberry buttermilk eat Ugh. this brick of butter yeah <laughs> oh god Ugh. <laughs> Nobody's eating listening to this. I know. Sorry, everybody. It's it's been turned off for sure. <laughs> well, I enjoyed the first part of this podcast. And yeah, yeah. Then it yeah. evolved massively. I, uh, the thing, craziest thing is, if any of the students from the panel have like, Googled me and tried to find us and listen yeah. to this, if they've made it this far, that any respect they had for me is gone. <laughs> What an insightful gentleman! I I really enjoy this yes. this guy's. Oh wait, what, what, wait, no. what's he talking about? Oh, oh, Buttermilk. no, oh no! He thinks pee pee is blood. Oh, <laughs> 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 well. To be fair, sometimes yes. Yeah, it, it can't. It, you can't rule it out. 
You got a kidney stone. You got uh, some sort of infection. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. Maybe you're like a mythical beast. Maybe. <laughs> you, you, you <laughs> what, if, what if you peed blood, but it, when, when you cut yourself, urine came out? <laughs> what, what if you were just reversed internally? <laughs> That urine pumping through, <laughs> pumping through my veins. <laughs> Maybe when like you blow your nose, it's V eight. <laughs> oh man, wow. this is what happens. I'm sorry, everybody. <laughs> I'm sorry. I shouldn't have brought up the milk thing. I don't know why that was still in my mind. I just knew that that fact couldn't be true. And it turns out it was. And we should have ended the podcast right there. <laughs> you know, it's crazy. It's like, because I believe in the sunk cost fallacy, this has to stay in. Because <laughs> otherwise, <laughs> this was just a meaningless exchange. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna bet like I'm just gonna bet on humanity not making it through the last part of this podcast <laughs> this is gonna be a social they've already, experiment they've already tuned out I'm gonna, it's fine. I'm gonna ask everyone who told me they listened to this did you listen to the whole thing and I'm, I'll bet zero percent say uh yeah <laughs> well if they if they do say yeah you know they're lying because the correct answer is oh yeah they would I did. never oh. speak to me again yeah <laughs> <laughs> That exchange didn't begin with a slap. Like, you yeah, suck. right. Did you listen to the whole thing? Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah it was yeah. great. It was yeah. fantastic. You liar. You didn't listen to any of it. <laughs> or right, you Dustin. would know what we said at the end. <laughs> what do you think PP is? Tell me right now. Uh, uh, it's it's uh, mostly water and then some electrolytes and shut up. <laughs> I think you're so smart. <laughs> with your with your knowledge go on jeopardy then you dumb yeah you, you smarty pants see if I'd my love, thinks you're you're smart i'd love to see that that jeopardy the, the, whoever has to say um what is pp well, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, what again. is blood platelet platelets yeah. out of my pee hole <laughs> I'm sorry, we would have accepted uh, blood pee-pee. <laughs> oh, gosh. I can't even continue this. <laughs> I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you, you dear listeners, I, I worked almost 200 hours in the past couple weeks. <laughs> I might be a little bit slap happy. I was it's fine. Say, this, I can't believe we're, you're allowing this, this nonsense of mine to continue. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and even encouraging it at this point. Mm-hmm. This is uh this is unexpected for both of us. It is. It's quite unexpected. It's well, fine. Um, actually, you expected this. I didn't expect you to let me just talk like this <laughs> on, on end. <laughs> That's how tired Austin is. Let's end it. <laughs> Let's end it. Put, just put put us out of our misery. Like it, the podcast, like it's over now. Like we're no. never recording another one again. <laughs> Let's end it. Not we a good canceled, conscience. We canceled ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> oh man alright everybody alright everybody I hope you weren't here for this <laughs> <laughs> goodbye that's what the splice tool's for <laughs> <laughs>